Good morning. Oh, somebody said hello there. I like that. <clears throat> it's good to see you. <laughs> it's good to see everyone here uh, today for this time of worship. Glad that you could be here with us, especially if you're a visitor. We're so happy that you chose to be with us today, and we do hope that you'll come back to be with us on uh, many, many future occasions. We have an early service at 9 o'clock in our Family Life Center that is a contemporary service. We have Sunday school at uh, 10 o'clock for all ages. There are classes that you would fit into, more than one. If you really want to, we'll put you in the nursery. You'd fit, everybody fits there. <clears throat> but, uh, but anyway, we'd be glad to help you find uh, your way into one of those classrooms. Um, we had a, a rather significant birthday this last uh, Friday. Virginia Waters turned 90, and she is sitting in the back this morning. So glad she's able to be here, <clears throat> recovering from a, a, a fall that she had a few months back and has uh, got well. She managed to get well for her birthday. So that's wonderful. Glad to see you here. Uh, this morning, if you hear some squeals and whatnot, we will be experimenting with the sound level. We had to buy a new amplifier. If you remember a couple of weeks ago, the problem we had in the church, we had a, uh, one of our amplifiers went out, and we had to replace it. And so um, I know Andy's up there trying to make me sound good. I think he needs to work harder to make me sound good, don't you all think? There are lots of good announcements that I uh, hope that you will be mindful of. Um, we've got the Younger Heart Club meeting this week. There are activities regarding the children. Uh, we need some uh, candy brought to the church to help Katie get ready for the Easter egg hunt at the end of the month. Um, so we, we appreciate your looking at those announcements in the bulletin as you uh, have an opportunity to do so. Let us now begin our time together in worship.
of Faith is the Apostles' Creed, 881, on uh, page 881 in your hymnal, if you wish to turn to that page. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, be seated please this time we'd like to invite the children to come forward to join uh, Kevin Duncan substituting today uh, for our children's sermon y'all this morning brought a couple things with me I want to see if y'all could help me out with them tell me what they are go with our lesson what is this right here an orange that's right it's a big orange too isn't it packed with vitamin C good for us what's this very good nice red apple yeah, one more thing here what is that Banana. Monkeys like these, don't we? We like them too, right? What do all these things have in common? Can you tell me? Yeah, they are fruits, but what else? What else do they share as fruits? Yes, they all grow on a tree. And uh, would you ever think, wouldn't it be neat if we could just walk outside in our backyard and we had like an apple tree or an orange tree or a banana tree? Wouldn't that be nice? Anytime we wanted a snack, we could just go over there and pick it off the tree and eat it. Wouldn't that be nice? What if that tree never bore any, uh, bear any fruit? All it would be good for is be shade, right? Out there on a hot day, just sit up underneath it and good for shade. It wouldn't be good for anything else, right? Well, that's where our story comes from today. It comes out of Luke, and I'm going to read a couple verses for you. It says, A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, Leave it alone for one more year. I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If it doesn't, then I'll cut it down. Now, I think our Bible lesson today is, is focused on us, God and us, because Jesus is telling the story about a man coming back. He had planted this tree year after year looking for fruit. And the tree had never bore any. And he's just like, why do I have this tree sitting here? If it's all it's going to do is use up land, I need to cut it down and find something else to plant here. But the gardener said, no, don't cut it down. He's like, I'll take extra care of it this year. I'll fertilize it. I'll make sure it's watered. I'll take great care of it. And next year, I'm sure there'll be fruit there. So the, the gentleman agreed and left the tree there. And I think this is a lot about our relationship with God. Because um, God planted us on this earth to bear fruit and to spread the good news, right? To go out and tell other people about God. But sometimes, um, sometimes for many different reasons, we, we don't spread the good news or we just you know, don't feel like it. And sometimes we don't bear fruit. But you know, God doesn't just cut us down or you know, uh, leave us abandoned, does he? He's always there. He gives us another chance. In ways that we can bear fruit is through love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and gentleness. So what we need to do and how we become bearers of good fruit is we continue to come to church, worship regularly, and read God's word and pray, and be with other people that love God as well, right? So let's go out this week and let's be bearers of good fruit, okay? Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, we know that you expect good things from us and your children. Help us live a life that will be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys. I am pleased to tell you that uh, we don't have anybody that I know of in the hospital anymore. John Jameson has been making a wonderful recovery in the last week, got out of intensive care on Monday, moved to Roger Peace Rehab on Wednesday. He's back to full banter with his pastor. So uh, I think he'll be there a few more days getting his strength back and then Poor Joan will have her hands full at home there, but John will be back with us, I trust, in about a, in about a month. We are so grateful for his good recovery. From um, Isaiah 55, 1 through 9, we now have our Old Testament lesson. Let us hear uh, our Old Testament lesson for the day. Come, all of you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good, and your soul will delight in the, rich, the riches of fare. Give ear and come to me, hear me, that your soul may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you do not know, and nations that do not know you will hasten to you, because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him. And our God, for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Here ends the lesson. Our responsive, responsive reading is Psalm 63 uh, on page 788. I invite you to turn to that page and stand as you're able. <clears throat> oh God, you are my God. I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where no water is. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands and call on your name. My soul is feasted as with marrow and fat, and my mouth praises you with joyful lips. When I think of you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. And they shall be given over to the power of the sword. And they shall be prayed for justice. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear in God's name shall glory. But the mouths of liars
Our epistle lesson is from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 13. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered over the desert. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink, and got up to indulge in pagan revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and in one day 23,000 of them died. We should not test the Lord as some of them did and were killed by snakes, and do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation, has, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Here ends the lesson.
I invite you to join me in the prayer of confession, which is printed there in your bulletin. Let us pray. Holy and awesome God, we stand in your presence filled with regret for our many sins and failings. Though there is greatness in us and a deep longing for goodness, we have often denied our better selves and refused to hear your voice calling us to rise to the full height of our humanity. For there is weakness in us as well as strength. At times we choose to walk in darkness, our vision obscured. We do not care to look within, and we're unwilling to look beyond at those who need our help. Oh God, we are too weak to walk unaided. Be with us as a strong and wise friend, and teach us to walk by the light of your truth. Amen. <clears throat> We begin this time again today, Lord, confessing our shortcomings, for it is good for us to remember our creatureliness, our weakness, as well as our strengths, and it is good for us to turn to you, for you are the source of our strength and the source of the power to overcome our weaknesses, and you can even cause us to be raised up from the deadness of our lives to be your followers. You constantly raise us from death so that when our time comes to leave this planet, you will just be continuing to do what you've always done for us. Come to us and lift us up when we're fallen to restore us into relationship with yourself. And we're thankful for this. Lord, when things go wrong around us, it is so easy for us to somehow see those things as indications that you don't care about us or that we've done something wrong. How good it is that we have Jesus to remind us that you love us always and your giving of Christ to this world and to us is sufficient proof to always assure us that you're on our side and that you love us. And if we need more than that, Lord, we're thankful that we can envision the cross of Jesus on the hill of Golgotha as we see Jesus willingly giving his life for us as an expression of your great love for us. So we're thankful that when things in this life happen, that might cause us to doubt your goodness or your presence with us. We can look beyond our lives to a time when we see for everyone your constant grace and love. And somehow knowing that gives us the strength to know that you're with us and that these setbacks in life are momentary and that you will help us to overcome and to grow. And so we're thankful for this. We're thankful when we fail and we fall victim to some temptation. You're able to show us through the cross of Jesus that you still love us and you give us peace and forgiveness. When we lose our jobs or when we lose our health or when someone we love dies and we feel so alone, we're thankful that the cross of Jesus is there to remind us that we're never alone and that you will give us strength to overcome these obstacles. How wonderful that is. And as we are receiving help from you, help us always to remember, Lord, there, there are those around us in our community and in the world community who are suffering more than we are, who need us this day, who need us to be their big brothers and sisters, to reach our hands out to them and to help them be lifted back up. We pray that you would help us do that and be reminded of this as we follow Jesus 
who went about doing good always. For we pray in his name as he taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Let us now worship God by giving.
Our gospel lesson is Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. Now there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think that they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. And then he told them this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three days now I have been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and, have, and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it um, use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year, and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. Here ends the lesson. If you are from someplace other than Greer, <clears throat> probably you have some way of keeping up with news from your old home. Perhaps you get a newspaper from there, or perhaps you have an aunt that calls you every week, but you keep up with news. And I know that there are many people who have moved away from Greer who have the Greer Citizen mailed to them every week. How else are they going to keep up with the ongoing drama of how Greer is going to balance the budget? We do like to keep up with news from back home. One day some people came to Jesus bringing news to him about some home folks from his home district of Galilee. Those men had been slain by Pilate as they were making their sacrifices at the Jerusalem temple. Lord, those were fellow Galileans. Did you know about that? Now, just what motivated these men to bring the bad news to Jesus is a subject of some debate. Apparently, the slain men had been suspected by Pilate of being insurrectionist, and maybe the messengers that came to Jesus hoped to get him stirred up so that he would take up their cause and lead an insurrection against Rome. Perhaps these men were taking some delight or comfort in the tragedy of others. There are people like that, thinking that maybe that means I'm not so bad after all, at least not as bad as those folks who got punished. It's interesting how we try to distance ourselves from tragedies by trying to understand the causes of a catastrophe. Maybe if we understand the cause, we can ex escape the consequences. And maybe if we aren't as bad as those people are, we don't have to be afraid. It was a commonly held belief in those days that such events were the direct results of sins committed by the victims. And there are plenty of folks still today that seem to believe that way. I had a dear lady in another community who used to call the parsonage at 6 a.m. in the morning, George. She was from down around where you also served in the middle part of the state. But she would call me at 6 o'clock in the morning about three or four days every week to see if I was enjoying the beautiful sunrise. I wasn't <clears throat> because the baby had kept us up half the night and I was hoping to sleep a little while longer, but the phone woke the baby up, so there you go. And also because I have a deep belief that sunrises are not meant to be enjoyed. If God wanted us to enjoy a sunrise, he would have put it later in the day. Anyway, she would call me, and then she would explain to me why something had happened, why a church member was sick or in the hospital or had died, it was because of some dirt she knew on them that she was glad to tell me about. They deserved what happened to them, she would say. 
Well, perhaps that was an implied question in the minds of these people that came to Jesus to talk about the slaughter of these Galileans. What had they done wrong that God had brought this misery upon them? Jesus gave a quick, sharp answer to those who believed like that, that the, that the Galileans had brought this disaster upon themselves. I tell you, no, that's not how it works. For sure, we do bring enough troubles upon ourselves, don't we, by our mistakes. But that doesn't mean that all suffering is a result of our own sin. We do reap what we sow, but we reap what others have sown around us too. You see, when we are convinced that people are getting just what they deserve, it relieves us of feeling any responsibility to come to their aid. If they got what they deserved, then why should I help them? Especially since I'm so much better than they are. I can just hear the way some people would want to rewrite the parable of the Good Samaritan, for instance. A man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho where he was attacked by robbers, stripped of his clothes. They beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest and a Levite happened to be going down that same road and when they saw the man, they said, well, I guess he got what he deserved. He should have known better than taking this road alone. He asked for it, and they passed by on the other side. You know, we don't have to send any help down to Haiti or Chile, to the Chileans, isn't that how they say that? Because they got what they deserved, right? To, uh, to counter this attitude, Jesus added a response calling us to look within our own hearts when we are tempted to judge others. He says, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than anyone else? I tell you no. I also tell you that unless you repent, you too will perish. It is as if Jesus wants us to feel the pain of our, our brothers and sisters with the understanding that there but for the grace of God go I. Therefore, I must repent of my wrong attitudes that make me find comfort in the suffering of others and that would make me feel superior to someone else. Like all human beings everywhere, I'm just a sinner who needs to be in a constant state of repentance, seeking forgiveness. My prayer and your prayer every day needs to be, Lord, what changes do I need to make in my life today? I'm sure that it troubles Jesus when we are judgmental toward one another. Perhaps that's why he said, judge not so that you be not judged. Here, Jesus implies that when we are tempted to judge others, maybe we should exchange that magnifying glass that we're using to look at someone else's life for a mirror that will make us look into our own souls so that we should spend our time looking within at what needs to be changed in, changed in us rather than looking at our neighbor's lives. Jesus said, why do you spend your days trying to remove that splinter from your neighbor's eye when there are huge logs in your own eyes that need to be working on? When disasters strike and we're tempted to ask, why, God? We would be better off if we used that occasion not to judge the guilt of our victims, but rather to think about our own needs for forgiveness as we take action to help our hurting neighbors. Then Jesus told a story about a fig tree. Well, we don't have many fig trees around here, so let me retell the story. A man planted a peach tree in the best place in his garden where it could get plenty of sunlight and water. And the man gave it plenty of time to mature before he expected it to start bearing fruit. Three years in a row he checked on his peach tree but found it barren. Three years, that's another patient, uh, uh, an expression of God's patience and grace. Then the man decided that this tree was just a waste of good soil He'd be better off cutting it down and putting a different tree there that would produce some fruit for him. But his gardener 
pleaded with him and interceded on behalf of the peach tree. Sarah, don't cut it down yet. You can always do that next year. Give me this year to work with the tree. I will till the soil around the tree and I will give it the best fertilizer. Maybe it will start producing peaches next year. If not, then do something. The meaning of this, peril was ob- of this parable was obvious to Jesus' listeners that day. Just as peaches are symbols of various communities, especially uh, the state of Georgia has co-opted that from us in South Carolina. Uh, but the, the fig tree was uh, a symbol of ancient Israel. God had planted the nation of Israel and given it plenty of time to take root because that's just how gracious God is. Year after year, he had come to his garden looking for his tree to begin producing the fruits of righteousness, and each time he was disappointed, though he was patient. Finally, God was just about to run out of patience and give up hope of ever seeing fruit on his tree, and so he ordered it to be pulled up. But there was one more chance. God's special gardener, the Messiah, had come, And he intervened on behalf of the nation. Give me another year to work with the nation, Father. Let me work with the root system of the nation, giving it nurture. If it works and the nation then starts producing the fruits of righteousness, fine. But if not, then you can cut the tree down next year. That, Jesus said, is exactly where that nation was right then. It was on the verge of being uprooted or cut down if the nation didn't change. Now, I have made use of this parable several times in a time of counseling with various people. For instance, I've had couples that come to me who are on the verge of divorce, and I have said to them, you can do that next year. You can get a divorce next year. But this year, maybe you ought to do all you can to nurture one another in your marriage. Seek wise counsel. Get to the root of your problems and work on your relationship. If all that fails, then next year you can get a divorce. But maybe now you can work on it. I've also told young people who are about to give up on themselves in high school And I've said, or college, either one, and I've said to them, well, you can quit school next year. But once you quit, you probably aren't going to go back. So stay in school. Let's find tutors and people to help you get through these classes. Try your best this year. You can always quit next year. Jesus was urging his nation to use their time wisely, to examine their ways, to repent, to draw close to God while there was still time. There is grace in Jesus' words, but there's also an implied threat. Make use of God's grace now because there are always time limits. Israel was not going to live forever, and neither are you and I. I had a very gracious elementary school teacher. I had several or perhaps I wouldn't be here. But when a child wasn't paying attention or doing his or her work, that teacher would invite the child to come up and sit beside the teacher's desk. That way the child was more likely to behave, and the teacher could give the child one-on-one attention and help. Usually that child responded appropriately. He would start paying attention. She would finish the assignment. Soon that child would be returned to the usual seat. But occasionally the child did not respond well. He continued to misbehave. In that case, it was just a few steps from that teacher's desk to the door, which led through the hallway to the principal's office. Children who were invited to sit by the teacher knew what it meant. Take advantage of the help that's being offered or else you can go visit the principal who will be ever so happy to have a meeting with your parents. Jesus calls us 
into a process of change, for that's what repentance means. He reminds us how gracious and patient God is with us. And he says we should make good use of God's patience now. For a day is coming when life on earth for us will come to a close and the opportunity for repentance will no longer be present. And when something happens bad to other people, rather than thinking that they must have been awful sinners who deserved what they got, we should instead be reminded to examine our own hearts to make sure that there's nothing that we need to be working on as we reach out in love and care to them in their time of need. Amen.